Welcome to the DC Beer Show, everybody. We are at DC Beer across all social media. As our dear friends, editors, and writers, Jake and Stein, are out for the evening, I'll be stepping up as your host with the most as we kick off this stormy month of August. Joining me on this Friday the 11th is our lover of all things juicy, Jordan, as well as two extra special guests, our publisher, Papa Beer Richard, and genuine all-around great guy and other half GM, Matt Splain. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Richard, uh, with what beer are you imbibing tonight? I have actually had um, several beers uh, earlier. Full counts from our good friends at DC Brow. I was fortunate enough to attend their uh, Jerry Garcia party uh, last weekend, I guess it was. It was fan-freaking-tastic. It was great to see Brandon Skull. See a lot of great music there. Um, I picked up a bunch of beer. And uh, me and uh, my friend Adam, who, if you've been listening to this show forever, you will remember as my original co-host on this podcast, <laughs> we drank a bunch of uh, full count lager from DC Brow. And so I'm currently finishing up my night with a little um, cotton and reed dark rum and ginger Ooh, that sounds beer. enticing. Maybe you have to do that as well. I <laughs> taste it. Jordan, what about you? What is in your glass tonight? I want to do a special shout out to our good friend, uh, Gregory, up in Vermont. He shared with me a Freak Folk beer, uh, IPA Poser. It's one of their exploratory uh, fruited IPA series, hot with El Dorado, Simcoe, and Mosaic, conditioned on pineapple puree and lime zest. So very tropical on this August night. Uh, so yeah, enjoying that IPA, keeping it with the juice theme. And uh, Hi, Greg. just happy to be with you guys. <laughs> Splain, good sirs. What are you? What are you having? Well, I'm drinking another half beer. Surprise, surprise. I'm drinking our last can of the Ivy City Czech style lager. Uh, one of my personal favorites from work with Styrian Golding Hops. Delicious, 4.6%, and just easy drinking. What about you, Brandy? What are you drinking tonight? I do agree with you. That beer is pretty fire, actually. Um, I am drinking a another Dynasty beer, kind of like last episode, Rules of Civility, number two. It's a spiced wheat ale. And honestly, I'm kind of sad. I just have one can of this because I am almost done and I need another thing from the refrigerator. Um, so shout out to Dynasty and shout out to all of our lovely beer that we're all drinking from all over. Jordan... I want to jump in to some cool events going on because I know there's there are too many to name. So let's let's get going. Most certainly, there's always something to do, especially in the district and especially in the summertime. Uh, I see Silver Branch had a job fair yesterday and having one again today, Friday, uh, 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Warrington location. Uh, they're going to be moving along pretty quickly with uh, their expansion, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I know there've been uh, quite a few other breweries. Warrington, but uh, I haven't been to any of them yet. But hey, Brandy, that sounds like a road trip. We might have Jordan to and Brandy it up, on location because uh, it has been <laughs> it, it has it has been so long. But uh, the closest I've been was the old Bushead. Uh, it's fairly close to Warrington, and uh, pretty good beers, uh, you know, traditional styles. But I'm curious about the other breweries and how they stack up against Silver Branches, Belgians, and their English styles as well. Uh, 
so yeah, we'll definitely have to do a, a visit out their way. Richard, I know you love Silver Branch and I know you're going to miss Silver Branch because uh, it's always been super convenient for you and myself. Uh, also know you're a Silver Branch member. Will you keep your beer club status? I know you'll miss it. If you'd like to transfer that over, oh, that's can hold true. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's But just let me know. Think about that. I have to be honest. My membership at Silver Branch has expired. I allowed it to do so knowing that I was leaving, um, uh, leaving town. I mean, you know, Brett and Christian, Brett used to be uh, Brett Robeson, who is the co-owner at Silver Branch. Uh, used to be general manager at Republic. <clears throat> Sorry, place called Republic, <laughs> which is now Motorcat, which is now Richard's new place to go. Uh, Republic in Tacoma Park, and that's where I first met Christian um, and and got to know them. And we, uh, Adam, who I mentioned earlier, Adam and I interviewed them when they first got the location of Silver Branch on this original version of this podcast. And then we interviewed them when they built out the brewery. And then we interviewed them again on this show um, not long before they opened. So they were regulars on the show. Um, I love their beers and I love, ha- love having them in the neighborhood. And I'm really psyched about the growth that they've been having. Uh, I will miss their beers very much. And I'm sorry, Jordan, I can't transfer any membership to you. Um, but I promise you um, there's, a, there's a brewery in the town I'll be living in called Blackberry Farm. Um, you can get their beers, uh, you know, in a lot of the NRG locations, pretty good stuff. And so I've got a, I got a new local, local brewery that does some really cool stuff that I'm looking forward to. And I will shift you all some beers. There we go. There we go. So I'll I'll definitely be looking forward to that. Always nice to get a taste of Tennessee or just a taste of the South, but and sticking with just some of the, the breweries and beers in the district, uh, Blue Jacket. Uh, they have a couple new beers coming out. The Winchester, for those that aren't hop heads or that like your traditional styles, this is an Anglo style uh, pub ale with East Kent Golding Hops, especially uh, if you like all the specifics. I'm sure Stein would appreciate that. Uh, it comes in at four and a half percent and an infinite playlist. That'll be the beer I'm actually looking forward to. That is a Tippa or a triple IPA with Nectaron and Citra Hops coming in at a whopping 10%. Uh, both of these will be excellent beers, and I'm really excited for the can art, especially for it's the so cool. playlist. R- R- Richard, you you mentioned something about NRG. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Anything else you want to yeah. say about um, NRG? Snallygaster, October this year. Um, so the VIP tickets are gone for Snally. Uh, sold out fast as usual. Um, there's still plenty of general admission tickets, though. So if you're interested in uh, getting in to Snally, get those tickets now. NRG has done a super cool thing, and they are offering the Women's Brew Culture Club a buy three, get one free deal on uh, general admission tickets to Snally Gaster. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I know Brandy would love to roll up with like a full posse of all the ladies into Snally Gaster. So uh, if you're interested, reach out to DC Beer, reach out to Brandy, and uh, and we'll get you the discount code. Awesome. What breweries are we looking forward to at Snellen, everybody? You know, I... Other half. Other half. <laughs> yes, the haze love, craze. I'm looking forward to it. I love... So actually, last year was very fun, in my opinion, at Snally, because there seemed to be 
more diversity in the beer offerings because in the past years, because I feel like I've always gone to Snelly, back even when it was at Union Market, um, it like there's, you know, it reflected the times of what everyone's drinking, you know. So I'm sure Jordan went to Snally and was in heaven because it was literally IPA after IPA after IPA. <laughs> but last year was so fun with, you know, like more smoked beers and um, just seeing new breweries o- open, like they're like women owned breweries. And um, I think I'm just looking forward to seeing the diversity of the beer, not necessarily like the breweries per se. Um, you know, and I'm hoping that all of our local breweries will be represented at Snally this year, um, you know, as they usually are. So I don't know. What what about you, Jordan or Matt? I, I'd say, yeah, I, it'll be nice to have some some of the breweries that aren't local to D.C. Uh, that's, that's honestly what I look forward to for Snally Gaster. Uh, I would agree. It's not that much fun, even when it's uh, over 100 hazy IPAs. I mean, even I mean, this is coming from Mr. Hazy himself. But I, I just I hope they don't swing the pendulum too far the the opposite direction because uh, I don't want a hundred smoothie sours or a hundred barrel yeah. aged stouts. Like let's find somewhere some balance. Uh, so I'm looking forward to like the balance, but also like a lot of the breweries along the East Coast being represented. Uh, but outside of other half, uh, what are you looking forward to, Matt? <laughs> Honestly, I I want some human robot. I love their lagers. Whenever I can get my hands on them, I just those guys are great whenever they come down into town. I just, so I'm super excited to see those guys. Um, I drink too many IPA. So whenever I can get a well-crafted, amazing lager, I want my hands on that. I want to, I want to see some smoke beer because it's that time of the year. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think we mentioned, but Silver Branch has already released their Oktoberfest. They're doing their rye IPA, their wit and triple. So like, so many local breweries are cranking out their their you know Oktoberfest kind of beers, which I know Mike Stein and myself we all love. So um, I don't know. I, I want to see some North Carolina breweries, you know, represent my home states. Yeah, it would be cool to like burial was there. Uh, I do like Resident Culture. They, oh. they make some really good beer as well. Oh, so yeah, those are two. I'm hey, Papa to. Beer, will you be back for Snelly? I don't know. That remains to be seen. I would love to be back. Um, to Snally, but I also want to explore a bunch of new breweries in Western North Carolina and Eastern Tennessee. And I'm really excited because in a couple of weeks, we have uh, tickets to go to a our first beer festival down there. What? Um, in just a couple of weeks. I'm so excited. A craft beer festival in the stadium of the local minor league team, the Tennessee Smokies. Um, <laughs> And one of my favorite things, and one of the reasons we decided to do this right away is there. The advertisement said, please bring oh. your dogs. Awesome. Of Speaking of can. beer friends, uh, my friend Emma, formerly of Astrolab, has just opened a wine and beer shop in Potomac, Maryland called Whelan's Beer and Wine. Like literally just last week it opened. Um, I was texting with Emma about it, and she is so o- over the top excited. Like I'm, I'm so happy for her. I also got a little sneak peek picture that she texted me. Um, and let me tell you, it is gorgeous. Um, so head up to Potomac Village to support her new bottle shop. We'll definitely get her on the podcast very soon. Um, and we'll take a trip up there. Matt Splain here has actually run a bottle shop before. He was actually there for quite some time. Matt, how how is it like to run a bottle shop? It's a lot of fun and it's a lot of stress. Um, 
I managed Gillies. I was a part of Gillies for nine and a half years, managed it for probably seven. And it, 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 it's a blast, you know, meeting with all the different beer and wine reps and trying all the, you know, new, fresh, cool beers before it hits the shelves is the exciting side of things. But the rewarding side is, was, you know, f- picking the right product to put on the shelf and then seeing customers come in and get excited when it's, when the, a beer that they like or a style that they like is back in stock. And then them coming back and be like, oh my God, that beer was amazing. You know, can you get more of it? And sometimes you got to break their heart and be like, no, it was a one-off. But other times when I can, I would order them a case or or, or more depending on what it was. But it, it was always a lot of fun. And, and, you know, Gillies in particular is a very unique package store in that it was a bar, deli, and store. So we had a, a really cool clientele and, you know, a lot of bars call themselves the cheers of their neighborhood. I will say Gillies in the Twinbrook neighborhood of Rockville is truly the cheers of that area. You know, you walk in, everyone knows your name, you know, all the customers there are, are close friends and, and go to each other's weddings and Christmases. And, you know, it was a, a lot of fun, you know, being a part of that atmosphere. Uh, and it's something that, you know, I've tried to, and still in, in my new team at Other Half and in the same atmosphere at Other Half. It's a little different at a brewery, particularly at a, a large production facility, but um, it's something I look back on fondly and I, I really enjoyed. And, you know, one thing I always got excited about was when a new brewery came in and, and trying their beers and figuring out where they would fit. And, you know, with the industry going the way it is, you know, there's unfortunately some breweries closed, but there's always another one to step in. And, you know, right now we've got a great brewery in Urban Garden. And I think, Brandy, you've got some, you know, news on Urban Garden Brewing coming up. Yeah. Um, Urban Garden is crushing it. Um, I headed over to the Peachy Keen release, um, which is the collaboration with Red Bear. And I talked to Imani. She's so excited. I don't know exactly where this is going to be, but Urban Garden is looking to open a brick and mortar in my part of DC, Fort Totten. Um, I don't know how much, I don't know much more about it, but I'm so excited. So I'll have Hellbender and Urban Garden Brewing. So, so happy for Imani and Lindsay. I'm sure our Women's Brew Culture Club will learn more about this progress on the 19th for our August event. <clears throat> you should come to it. So if you are interested um, in joining the Women's Brew Culture Club, you know, it's, we're just like a cool club. We go to these local breweries, especially women-owned breweries, and learn the process, meet and greet with the women, and just be inspired um, and have beer knowledge, uh, which is so important because the beer industry is such a male-dominated dominant, um, dominated field that you know we need to show up. And so if you're listening to this and you know a female who is into beer, you know, send them my way. Brandy at DC Beer, um, or go to Twitter, Insta, or whatever, um, and uh, hopefully you can make it to the next event. Matt, you have some pretty, like, big beer news. I mean, is it big beer news? But it's beer news for sure. Pretty big. Pretty big. Announced this week, Tuesday, uh, Anheuser-Busch is, has sold eight of their beer beverage brands to pot company Tilray. Tilray has now become the fifth largest craft beer player in the U.S. 
U.S. by acquiring from InBev, Shocktop, Breckenridge Brewery, Blue Point Brewing Company, Ten Barrel Brewing Company, Red Hook Brewery, Widmere Brothers Brewing, Square Mile Cidery Company, and Highball Energy for a mere $85 million. I believe it was 85. Um, compared to what InBev paid for, collectively for all these breweries Tilray got a steal in my opinion and some of these beers are just going to get better now because you know when you mix a pot company with beer what can go wrong that's that's really interesting yeah yeah so. but I, I think it makes sense i mean it's i think you're right it, the idea of giving craft beer over to people who like doing craft things as opposed to um the kinds of companies who are really after scale, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, like InBev is a scale company, like, um, yeah. and they just never couldn't really manage the opportunities that those brands had. Well, and one of the articles I was reading today and, you know, hopefully I, I remember this correctly. So I apologize in advance, you know, Tilray and a lot of these big pot companies, you know, while the marijuana industry is thriving and exploding, there's just, there's not enough big players. And so it's hard for the shelf space and hard, you know, to really compete. And so to expand into the craft beer industry, you know, they're not just fighting for shelf space, you know, in the dispensaries, but they can, you know, spread the love, the money out and, you know, maintain some of these brands that are already making a lot of money and siphon that money over to the pot side and, you know, really help, you know, increase the business over there. So, you know, We'll see how it goes. A um, couple of those brands, you know, Shock Top, and this is not a pun, was the most shocking one to sell because uh, it seems like they've been part of InBev for yeah. so long, uh, and that and to be let go uh, for InBev to let them go like this. Um, I'm excited to see Red Hook and Whitney Brothers leave InBev because I've always been a big fan of them, and you know when they joined them, you know beers were fine, but you know I I hope to see some expansion and some you know evolution in their beers again yeah so it was interesting uh like to, just to kind of see that crossover i think like constellation they went the opposite way a couple of years ago they they owned a whole bunch of beverage companies and then they bought, bought some pot companies uh canopy growth and now to see it go the other way is it's interesting so strange times we're in but good times i mean i i can foresee a lot of uh experimentation on the beer side coming coming up uh, over the next few years so excited for that absolutely Speaking of experimentation in beer, our guest tonight, I think, is doing some really, really interesting things. Um, kind of wish Stein were here and Jake were here because uh, we're going to learn a lot. This week's guest has been brewing professionally for the past 12 years at places such as Lost Rhino and Sonoma's Bears Republic. This past May, he opened Nietzsche Blendery in Alexandria, Virginia. Please welcome Alex Lentz to the DC Beer Show. Hi, Alex. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Brandy. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. Alex, we have a lot to cover in a short amount of time, so let's just jump in. Could you tell our listeners who may have not heard about your new brewery, tell us about Mienza. Like, how did it all start? What What is a blendery? Yeah, so uh, it a blendery is, I mean, it could have happened, you know, been been done for hundreds of years now, but it's... It's kind of a rare concept in the United States at the moment. And the idea is essentially you're brewing off site and then you're doing all the fermentation on site. So it's a little bit of a different operational approach as well as a different creative approach. 
I really got into it, you know, so I got into craft brewing uh, pretty much after college. And, uh, but I was also home brewing at the same time. And I was in DC basements that uh, had no temperature control. So I was like, why would I try to make an IPA that just, I know why it's not going to taste good because it fermented, fermented like 80 Fahrenheit. Um, so I was playing around with Saison's and they were, they were coming out really well. And I kept on going down that rabbit hole. And as I, you know, kind of learned how to brew and cellar and all these like different operations or aspects of, of brewing in a, a professional brewery, uh, it just kept clicking that like my nightly concerns at home uh, were just very different than the day-to-day concerns of making a good IPA or, or a, a good Pilsner or something like that. So, you know, the, the, the seed was planted a long time ago and the, sort of the more I, you know, progressed, the more I wanted to really dedicate a company that could do uh, mixed culture sort of sour beer and saisons really well. Um, so that's where it's, it's a different operational approach. So you have, uh, as, as opposed to a brew house, all your money is just kind of sitting in inventory and beer aging. Um, but also operationally, you can kind of build the whole floor plan differently. Uh, so you can kind of execute these beers really well. And then creatively, it's sort of a different approach or I'm trying to make it early focus on it being a different approach where you know, your average beer that, you know, a craft brewer is making kind of goes through an assembly line process where, you know, Pilsner is a different recipe fermented at a different temperature with a different yeast, but it's really treated as a singular unit and blending is usually only done for consistency or, uh, you know, doing a double bottling run. And what I'm hoping to focus on in, in each beer, I'm trying to make sure I'm sort of executing this is like when I brew, when I ferment, there's beer components that are then blended together to make something that couldn't have really been made as a singular batch. And so there's a lot of little ways you can do that, but that's sort of the checklist test if I'm making a certain beer as a concept is like, could you have made this as a singular batch? And the answer for some of these is like, maybe, but continually I'm hoping to strive to kind of have everything be something that couldn't have been a single brew, a single ferment, um, and a single bottling. I think it's really neat that, um, you know, all, all of the interviews that we do and all of the people that we personally know in the beer industry and brewers or even brewery owners, they always start as homebrew. And so, you know, that's usually the first question that I ask. So how did you get into it? I already assumed it was homebrewing because that's always the answer. But when these people open their breweries, they focus on a traditional brewery style. So you know, I think a few places do list themselves or call themselves a brewery slash blendery, but yours, you just went straight into the blendery. I think it's really cool because it kind of sets you apart. And I, I really appreciate that. And it made me even more intrigued to come visit you and have you on the show. Um, I think it's really interesting and wonderful that you've been creating beers with Dynasty um, how long had you been working with Dynasty and how was that relationship morphed? How has it morphed after opening your blendery? Uh, yeah. So, you know, Fabio Garcia is the head brewer at Dynasty. Uh, he was my first boss at Lost Rhino. Um, very great guy. Uh, you know, I think super generous with, with everyone in the community. It's always, uh, you know, he's always said he was talking to someone or helping out here or consulting there. Um, and he's, you know, certainly helped me along my path. Uh, so a, a little bit when I was trying to get started out, I wanted to build some barrel stock. And, you know, Fabio and, and the other partners of Dynasty were very generous in sort of 
you know, renting me some space so I could build up beer that would then be essentially contract brewed because it was fermented there. But at least I could test out, you know, recipes and stuff. And, um, you know, I think Fabio didn't want to put a lot of like effort into, you know, building a whole sour program or something like that. So that was working well. Uh, you know, the pandemic was, I think, weird for everyone. Uh, for me, it was just, yeah, I don't know. I don't say 2020 is my year, but I, that's where I thought, you know, getting a location. And that turned out not to be the case. Uh, you're very much a purgatory and odyssey kind of combined in the worst ways. Um, so, yeah, I think we're still, I, I think we're both really busy. So I think we're trying to figure out where it's going to go. Um, I'm really, I'm brewing about a year's worth of beer in the next two months. It's the middle of fruiting season. So uh, I haven't seen Fabio in a little while. Yeah, um, we just had him on. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, but. we just had him on. Hi, Fabio. Yeah. Um, so it's really, but but your beers specifically, like your blended beers, they have been featured at Dynasty, right? So so the so the folks yeah. who may not have heard of you per se or like heard of your new place, they've probably had your stuff at Dynasty. So that is a testament, and they need to come and and check you out. So that's that's really cool. Um, you already had like a base before you opened your, your blendery. So I'd love that for you. <laughs> if it existed or not. Yeah. Hopefully it was great, but yeah. um, it's unclear. Well, I mean, you, you came this far, so it's, you know, and I can personally say, cause I just visited that it was really good. Um, you know, I tend to not drink too many sours, but I appreciate sours and the types of type of sours that I like are the sours that you make. <laughs> so, um, I have a question for our editor-in-chief, Mr. Jake. He wants to know about the economics of wart trucking. <laughs> it's a very specific question. Uh, that's a great question. I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, honestly, I'm not running the math. I think there's also the environmental aspect that I'm curious about, too, because I, I don't understand, like, in building out what is a, a pretty simple location, you know, it's like a trench drain, uh, you know, tile was already, the floor was already tiled. Uh, it was amazingly, it was amazing to me how complex or at least stalled out, you know, just, you know, building a brewery location is, um, you know, getting a brew house there and installing it, at least in the location I have would have been a nightmare, um, or at least costs a significant amount more. So I, if, for me, it's, it's, I guess I haven't really run the numbers or how you'd compare them necessarily. Uh, but it is a lot simpler to simply, you know, go to a friend's place, fill it, fill a tote, bring it back. As opposed to like even just, you know, figuring out whether the steam piping was installed correctly or whether the electrical actually doesn't work and you have to run something to the middle of the, the road or the plumbing was. And so in that sense, it I'm sure it was economical in the sense that all those problems that creep up or pop up and it turns into a ten or fifteen thousand dollar oopsie that just wasn't there before at best. Um, avoiding all of that is great. Um, and uh yeah, there's also, I mean, I don't know who's getting helped all that much. Like, it's kind of small things, but I think, you know, the DMV's like wart production capacity utilization, if we want to put like a bolded term, uh, is probably something at like 5% right now. I think a lot of these, you know, there's a lot of brew houses out there that could be run, you know, 24 seven or three shifts. And I, I think most of them are not. So if that's helping anyone out, um, you know, I'm hoping that works. And, uh, uh, the other economic side that might be interesting is, uh, you know, there might be a lot of 10 barrel, you know, brew pub or small brewers out there that really talented. They just don't have the space as their business model works, you know, tasting room focus to have like, you know, um, 
60 or 90 wine barrels just hanging out in the corner. So once I build up enough barrel stock, I, I think it would be fun and to kind of give back to other you know brewers in the community that they could roll by for their seasonal sour. You know, they're going to do 10 BBLs or whatever or something like that, but they have 25 barrel, you know, wine casts to, to pick from. So we, we could do like a custom blend um, and they could really, you know, feel the blending process out when that's one of the beer styles they just can't really execute on their own, their own system. So I don't know if that was a half answer or not, but it was Jake's question. So we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll let yeah. Jake uh, be the judge on that. Um, I have a question from Mr. Stein. He wants to know how long does it take your process from grain to glass? Because, you know, a lot of kettle sours can be cranked out in as little as two weeks. Um, are your beers more like a two year production time frame, especially with certain fruits, seasons, harvests, et cetera. So grain to glass process for like, just pick one of your beers, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, right now we, we kind of have two rough categories of mixed culture saisons and, you know, barrel aged fruited sours. Uh, I've been so busy that, you know, a lot of these beers had, I wasn't waiting, like looking at them week to week to some, but, uh, both saisons we have right now are in red wine neutral barrels for about nine months. My guess is like a lot of very similar profile would have existed at six months. Uh, I don't have a hard rule of thumb, but everything that's going on fruit is, is usually about a year old. Oh, wow. Um, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the ways I've made beers previously, I think a lot of that maturity is really capping out at two years where, you know, maybe off flavors develop at that stage. Um, but, you know, the good parts kind of ex existed at year two. You know, but every culture is different. I don't really have a standard house, house culture. Um, you know, I, whether I mashed high or low, uh, you know, it's, it's not that rigid. And I think part of the blending process is you, you build a system where you're not thinking about what can I flip next. So you, you should be checking periodically. Um, I'm kind of anti-oversampling just because it has too much headspace exposure. And then... The one area that I'm curious about is sort of actual spontaneous beer because, you know, the traditional gooses or whatever, uh, that's a one, two, and three-year blend. And sometimes you have just like the, the three-year-old Lambic and it's throwing like a ton of like compost and almost mushroom. Like it's, it's borderline, you know, it's somewhat savory, kind of turns you off. But if you realize that's 10% of a blend, uh, you see how, why that goose is what it is. And a lot of my three-year spontaneous stuff, uh, Definitely had some age quality, uh, but it didn't quite have that compost thing, uh, which now that I know it exists, like I'd always want that in the back pocket, even if it's used sparingly. Yeah. It's like cooking, you know, like you're, you're blending all these, these flavor profiles together. And though the, I had, geez, I tried at least what, seven, six, seven, and you had two Saison ones. Um, my favorite was that blueberry. Was it called Kerplunk or something? Uh, just don't call it KKK. That's the one. Oh my word. God. Why uh, would yeah, I do it's, that? It's from blueberries for Sal. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> well, it's Kaplink Kaplink. Oh, that's right. It's the children's book. And it's a sound book. effect from a children's book. It is. Book. Yeah, yeah. I love that and, book. And uh, granted, I, I, I screwed up a fair amount, but uh, a couple customers just couldn't get it out. So they just abbreviated oh, that way. And I thought, oh. I thought a children's book was safe. It but, was uh, <laughs> clearly. No, I didn't even think about yeah. that when I looked at it. Um, you see where some people's brains go, I suppose. Um, so yeah. uh, I visited, like I said, I visited your tap room. It's really lovely and cozy and inviting. What were some of your biggest hurdles 
with opening Mienza. Uh, the biggest hurdle. Know, I, could, I could complain for... <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot of... I mean, everyone complains about permitting or all these other stuff. And, you know, it, 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 being a small business owner, the first time I've done this or been involved in anything like it, like, it is crazy. Um, and, and everything that people say is correct. Uh, a couple surprising areas where it's, uh, it's not in the financial interest of the other party to, to not, um, you know, it doesn't help them yet this problem occurs. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm used to other people maybe taking advantage of me, of me or not, or negotiating or something like that. But the biggest surprise was just who is this helping and why is it taking so uh, long? Uh, yeah. you know, it took five <laughs> months for my lease to get approved. Uh, there, so that, you know, that's a lot of purgatory time when you're, when it's going to be a campaign, you know, for the next year, just trying to get a place open. Um, you know, what, what could have been an email, you know, should have been a 30 minute phone call and, and shouldn't have been five months. So that sounds like everybody's life. <laughs> um, so that's the biggest one. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so how do you decide on the blended fruits? Like, do you have to taste all of what has been aging? Like you're just, but you said you're not a big fan of like sampling and, and so how do, do you just know, do you have, take very specific notes and then, uh, figure it out that way. So I think I did like an MBAA presentation that bombed on this. Uh, but, <laughs> okay. uh, there's a, there's a great book by a woman called Bianca Bosker called cork dork. And it's, it, she, she writes about her experience becoming a sommelier, but there's a really lot of fascinating stuff that basically says like, you'll taste, and there's a different books I've been reading that kind of support this. Like, you know, you taste better, uh, when you start applying language. So tasting notes really shouldn't be for other people. They should be for you. And I was kind of a little bit uh, behind on that. Uh, so, so much of what makes a good sour base beer blend or barrel, a lot of that really can't be done by now lab analysis, at least not time or cost effectively wise. You know, if, if you gave me $80,000, whatever it is for GC mass spec, and it took me three hours to run a sample just to understand what the, the acid profile is between acetic and lactic, it's just, it's not going to be cost effective ever. Um, despite how cool it would be. So you are relying on taste and you are relying on tasting notes. Um, but then when it comes to the blending session, I've sort of been arguing that if you try to write a full paragraph about every sample right in front of you, that's actually a really bad way to go about blending because you're being too acclimatized to the sample and uh, you know you get palate fatigue, all these things. So I'm trying to sort of been making this, this process of really, when you're in your tasting notes, they should be very directional. But you shouldn't, you, but you're really kind of going from your gut and you're walking almost this tightrope. Uh, you know, I think Dick Cantwell called it like a spirit quest. And so what I would argue, if you're ever in a blending session, just kind of say what's, what worked and what didn't, whether a connection brought something you liked or didn't. And then as a postmortem, fill out all the tasting notes as you remember them. Um, but, and I'm almost a strong advocate for always going back for a second blend where regardless of how good that blending session was or how certain you were, uh, come back to it, pick your top four blends that you thought, uh, propose a counterfactual. Um, so that's the type of timing and dedication that I'm trying to put into the process as a blendery that, you know, honestly, a lot of production facilities, when the barrels are a passion project, they need to, they need to use the brew house space at the end of the day. And so they, like the blends happening, the tasting notes are happening then, they're cleaning barrels all night uh, just to fit it in around the, you know, the flagship products. 
so yeah, it is a lot of it's a lot of note taking. Uh, it's it's very hard to describe, and uh, essentially, I'm hoping to 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 make a program in the the mid tier future where uh, I can invite consumers to to try mini blending sessions. Oh, I love that. Um, that sounds so I'm fun. looking forward to that. Well, just like, you know, I'll pull a couple, ca- like New Belgium did this a while back with, you know, uh, for like DC beer weeks where you show up, they pull like seven different, you know, kegs off individual fooders. They have a glass of Lafolie right in front of you and you can kind of do your own blending thing. And uh, it's super cool. A lot of home brewers and brewers don't have the ability to just have a lot of samples in front of them. Uh, and it's, you don't taste it when I give someone a, a glass of something that's a finished product and they don't get to see the journey right. and they might've had a better product for them or just in general, and they don't get to feel that or experience that. Uh, but it is super important for the company and just the process So being able to share that in the future. I'm very excited about. I love that. I, I can tell that you're so extremely passionate about this and from what I can tell so far in my one visit, your passion has really paid off because everything I had was lovely. And all of my guests, I brought like six people in and everyone was super happy with everything that you were putting out. So truly congratulations, especially being so young, um, like having your place such few amount of months. I just want to say thank you, Alex, for coming on the show and chatting about your cool new spot. If you're looking for a new brewery to visit, especially if you're into wine-esque cider slash mead invoking tasting sour beers, um, definitely check out Alex Lynch's Mietza. Alex, did we miss anything? When uh, when when can folks visit when you open? Uh, until the end of the, the fruiting season, grape season probably will only be open on the weekends, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Our, our hours are posted into the fall, and then we'll kind of reassess some things. Um, so that's the best time to visit. Alex, where are you located? We're located in the west end of Alexandria, so 109 Claremont Ave. It's right off the like Holmes Run, Eisenhower Ave uh, bike trail. Uh, it has its own beltway exit, which is pretty cool. It's a uh, beltway exit 174 off the beltway. Uh, and then I think Van Dorn Metro and and the the 32 dash is the the best. Uh, public transportation method. It was really easy to get there. Um, and I had a great time. Everyone had a great time. And so I, you, you get Brandy's uh, seal of approval. So <laughs> go go check out Mietza. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love the podcast. Uh, it reminds me how many great spots I'm missing on a, on a weekly basis. <laughs> well, get out there. Yeah, cheers. Let's let's uh, let's close us out. We are DC Beer across all the socials. Reach out, say hi, share pics of beer, be happy. We'll see you next time with our guest, the main man behind Snallygaster, Greg Ingert of NRG. Jordan, Matt, Richard, any closing thoughts, words of advice? Uh, yeah, definitely check out our website, uh, dcbeer.com. Uh, specifically our event section. You can always keep up with all the happenings around D.C. And if you're ever looking for me or my main man, Splain, you can catch us at Other Half. Uh, me specifically Wednesdays at 6.30 for Other Half, excuse me, for Capital Trivia. And special shout out to Amber, uh, maybe better known as Ponchi, but shout out to Amber. Uh, she celebrated a birthday on Monday. So definitely hit her up on, on the socials to wish her a happy belated and buy her a pint as this is her birthday month. 
um, as well as our good friend uh, Jake and Stein. They're also celebrating birthdays this month as well. But in other news, tomorrow is the official uh, Barrel and Flow Beer Fest in, Pens in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and our very own DC Beer Women's Brew Club representative, Amber, will be there representing uh, for all of us. So shout out to Amber for that. And shout out to all the other folks that's going up for Barrel and Flow. Uh, that is the nation's largest Black Beer Festival. Uh, so if you aren't familiar, make yourself familiar because it's always a good time. And uh, yeah, go ahead and block your calendars off for next August. I think it's always the second weekend. Uh, but yeah, cheers, guys. And again, shout out to Amber. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. cheers.